Hi, I'm Gertrude Keesley, and this is Kingdom Consciousness. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, Matthews 24, 14. Before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom in its final form, the gospel of the kingdom must be extended throughout the nations of the world. In order to preach the gospel of the kingdom, we as kingdom citizens must understand the kingdom of God. Before we can become custodian to the keys of the kingdom, we must first experience kingdom living. In the past, much emphasis has been placed on the life and ministry of the king of the kingdom jesus christ and rightly so but not enough emphasis has been given to the gospel of the kingdom jesus told the religious leaders of his time ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer them that are entering to go in matthew 23 13. It was this gospel of the kingdom that was the central purpose of Christ's life. He began his earthly ministry by declaring the arrival of the kingdom. That's, you can find that in Matthew 4.17. He ended his earthly ministry by speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom, Acts 1 and 3. In between the beginning and ending of his earthly ministry, the emphasis was on the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. The kingdom of God was the greatest concern of Jesus. His teachings and parables focused on the kingdom. His miracles were a demonstration of the kingdom of God in action. The phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used over a hundred times in the books of Matthews, Mark, Luke, and John. We will explore the distinctions between these two. We are told to seek first the kingdom, to pray for it and to preach it. We are told how to enter the kingdom and taught that residency in it requires a new lifestyle. God is equipping his citizens to become kingdom minded so that we can understand the business of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. Everything about us is royalty, but we must first adopt the mind of Christ in order to understand what that actually means. We cannot have a poverty mindset and expect to grasp the reality of how much God desires for us to prosper. But there is a greater purpose than just understanding kingdom principles. Citizens must go beyond mere knowledge of the kingdom 
to actually experience it and make it the central purpose of our living. So I invite you to come and go with me as we explore this most exciting, interesting, and eye-opening subject. God bless you and good afternoon. Today I want to speak to you about being eternity conscious. Eternity conscious. Many people believe that you can enter and belong to the kingdom of God by just joining the church, joining the church. They equate the process to that of joining the club. This is one of the reasons why many unbelievers see the church as a club for religious people with similar interests. The church, however, is not a club, but the body of Christ, a family of believers. No one has ever become a member of the body by filling a membership card, paying tithes, giving offering, and participating in church programs and activities. The church is the body of Christ, and there's only one way to become part of the family of God. You must be born into the family of God. This is the only way to enter and belong to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a place where Christ reigns and rules, a place where his presence is evident. To belong to the kingdom of God is to submit your life to the rule and reign of Christ. And this demands obedience to the will of God. The kingdom of God is a place of righteousness. And all those who enter have the righteousness of Christ. Amen. It's a place where we are no longer dominated by a consciousness of sin, but by a consciousness of righteousness or eternity conscious. The kingdom of God is a place of God's blessings, protection, and provision. How can one be in the presence of this eternal, all-sufficient one where everything is in abundance and lack? How can one be in the presence of eternal life and perfect health and be sick? Or in the presence of everlasting peace and joy and be sad and depressed? God created man, a perfect being, in his own image and likeness. He created the earth for man to have dominion over and rule over as he did in heaven. What separated man from God was that he was a created being and could not exercise his dominion without God. To be able to exercise his power of choice, he was forbidden to eat the fruit of only one tree in the garden. He disobeyed and lost all that the presence of God had made available to him. In his fallen condition, man could no longer fulfill God's divine purpose. But God didn't leave man in this condition and went to great length, great length, to restore all things to their intended purpose. God wants man to enjoy his presence and a life of abundance.
He wants all men to fulfill his divine will concerning their lives. And through Christ, he has opened the doors of the kingdom of God to all believers. Amen. A price had to be paid for man's redemption. And the righteous judgment of God demanded the death penalty for sin. It demanded the shedding of blood. Jesus Christ, by his death, paid the penalty. Amen. For man's redemption. And the righteous judgment of God demanded the death penalty for sin. Amen. Did you get that? Did you get that? It demanded, it demanded, amen, it demanded the penalty for sin. So, it demanded the shedding of blood, amen. Jesus Christ, by his death, paid the penalty for the sin of the whole world. Listen, past, present, and future. And it opened the doors of the kingdom of God to all those who would believe in him. Jesus Christ not only paid the penalty for sin, but he bore our judgment that we can be justified and become the righteousness of God. Praise the Lord. The death of Christ was the only way to lead us out of slavery to sin and into the glory of reigning with him. It was necessary because of God's holiness and man's sinfulness. It was necessary. It points to the seriousness of the sinful human condition that could only be remedied through the death of Christ. The wages of sin is death. And so no sin or sinner could come into the presence of a holy God. This was the reason why in the Old Testament, Sacrifices were continually being offered to cover sin and to gain access to the presence of God. The access to God's presence was not because of their righteous acts, but because of their sacrifices. Job, remember Job? He offered sacrifices on his own behalf and on behalf of his family and was reckoned as righteous in the eyes of God. As a result, God protected him, blessed him, and met all his needs. The attacks of the enemy only resulted in a greater blessing. The Old Testament sacrifices pointed to the time that Christ, the perfect sacrifice, would take on flesh and blood and be put to death to make atonement for the sin of the whole world. Now, the blood of Christ has accomplished eternal redemption for all mankind. It has cleansed us, made us holy, and set us apart. But we can only benefit from what the blood of Christ has done for us when we acknowledge him as Savior and Lord and gain access to his grace. So even though Paul may not have coined this phrase, I believe the term eternity consciousness is an excellent descriptive term for some of Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians. Eternity consciousness is, in my mind, the most awesome power of the work of the cross. 
You can tell where a believer is in terms of spiritual maturity by gauging his or her eternity conscious. For instance, the more you are conscious of your place in eternity, of your heavenly citizenship, the less you are bothered by getting older. Every day you're getting older on earth, listen, you are getting younger toward eternity. Hallelujah. The more eternity conscious you are, the less you are bothered by materialism. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants us to be good providers to our families and good stewards. But the more eternity conscious you are, the less you will compare yourself to others in terms of salary, possessions, in terms of the status in this world. The more eternity conscious we are as a church, the less we are concerned about ourselves, politics, physical structures, and the more we are concerned about the spread of Christian values, the word of God, about prayer, about reaching out to a dying world. Have you been to any church business meeting lately? What are we talking about in our business meetings? The things of eternity? Or the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. What are we talking about? I dare to say that if we have no or little eternity consciousness, there is something missing in our spiritual life. We need to experience the power of the cross and resurrection all over again. We all need to grow in our eternity consciousness. And we all need to be empowered and inspired by the hope and joy it can give us, including our self-understanding, purpose, and our calling, a greater perspective for our lives beyond old age and death, hope to a better life in a world as God intended from the beginning, hope to be reunited with our loved ones who passed away, and a joyful expectation to meet our maker face to face. We need to work on becoming more eternity conscious. God bless you. Have a great day.